Uh, he called this the dilemma between the text and the sermon. <laughs> yeah. Happy New Year, and welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox, here with my great friend, Tom Balsamo. And uh, Tom and I have just been talking uh, about uh, last year a little bit, and glad that we're kind of at a restart here. And uh, yeah. <laughs> for some changes, uh, you, you, and you and me both. But uh, anyway, uh, good morning to you, Tom. Good morning. You threw me off for a second there. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm expecting, welcome back to Reason Together. And you start out with, Happy New Year. And I was like, what? Wait, what? Oh, yeah. It is a new year. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but as we record this, it is on January 4th. So um, I don't know. Is it still appropriate to say Happy New Year by January 4th? Yeah, if it's the first time, I guess, that we see somebody, unless, you know, unless we don't see them until February. And then, yeah, I mean, there might know. be some people I know that I'm not going to see till May this year. Should I tell them Happy New Year? No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> that would but, certainly get a rise out of them, I think. That'd be, <laughs> as, yeah. as we begin, I think about our patrons and, you know, I know that the economy has been tougher and, uh, and likely not to look great for a while. And so we especially appreciate uh, the investment that you make. Uh, in our podcast, and we don't take that lightly. Thank you so much for your support. And if you're interested in becoming a patron, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash reason together. That's patreon.com slash reason together and uh, become a member there. Indeed. Amen to all of that. <laughs> so I have to say that uh, uh, when I was opening Christmas gifts uh, this last Christmas, <clears throat> I thought it was. I thought the order of them was a little strange, and and maybe you begin to wonder, like, are these gifts suggestive of like, are they trying? I know, to, I know where you're going with this, and I love this. <laughs> are, are they suggestive of? I mean, like, are they trying to tell you something through the <laughs> gifts that they buy? Because so so each person gets three gifts, right? And my first gift, I open it up, and uh, and part of it is a book that's that's entitled "Do More Better." Okay, so all right, that's good. And then my second gift is a workout mat. Yeah, is like a half inch thick workout <laughs> mat, so that I guess I can get to working out. And then my third <laughs> gift is a habit tracker. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, hey, honey, we love you. Merry Christmas. Why don't you do more better, like uh, exercise? Here's a habit tracker. More better, get in shape and get your life together. <laughs> like, oh, thank you. Uh, no, actually, those were all things that I wanted. Um, I picked those out. But anyway, I thought that the, the order did seem sort of funny. It is <laughs> funny. And uh, I, I was thinking about, uh, as we move into this new year, I, I know we've, we've kind of become aware recently that we have a uh, a young younger audience and uh at least as part of our audience that there is a younger contingency to that and thinking about them not that this doesn't apply to other folks as well if you're 80 years old this still applies to you too but i just wanted to share um with uh with our listeners and especially our younger ones what i had shared with my own kids uh here a couple days ago as we move into the new year uh three things that i had uh uh, said to them is number one, write a summary of 2022. And it's funny because you just in our pre-show, you were talking about how you did that uh, on December yeah. 31st, you wrote a brief summary of 2022. I did. 
And I think that's really valuable. You would, you know, you would agree that being able to understand and look back at what happened in that year and then even down the road being able to reference that, it gives you a point of reference um, and a perspective to go, oh, wow. That Sometimes I have looked back and gone, "That's that was still this year? Wow. Mm-hmm. It seemed like, and that was back in March and whoa, a lot of water's gone under the bridge and it helps mm-hmm. you maybe to realize why you're feeling so stressed or or whatever. And, and even on the positive side to just recall the events of the year on Christmas morning, we, we scanned through my wife quickly scanned through photos on her phone and reminded us of events that had taken place in the year. And, um, you know, that's just a, a, a neat thing to do. So number one, you might consider writing a, writing a summary of 2022. What were the highlights? What, 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 what things went on? What things did you do? And, uh, and then number two, I said, um, on a, on a spiritual front, um, ask yourself in what one area, and there may be many, but but what what one area do I need to grow in spiritually? What area do I, in what area do I hinder the unity of this home, or you know, is an obvious weakness that I want to work on? Uh, what what's one area I need to grow, and then what's a step that I can take? What's the next step in dealing with that? Is it simply a prayer? God help me to uh, to be alert to this to. Uh, to, uh, you know, to, to follow your word, Lord, Lord, help me to understand what to do. Or is it finding maybe three Bible verses on that issue and beginning to memorize them? Is it whatever, you know, something, uh, being alert to ourselves spiritually and taking a step to try to move in the right direction. And then thirdly, um, I said, what is something you want to learn? Um, think about something you want to learn instead of when you get bored, just going, Oh man, I don't know what to do. Like, I, you know, I want to play video games or I want to watch something, um, to, to say, I, I want to learn something. And, and my, my girls in the past have said, Hey dad, can I watch these videos on doing, they'll find these YouTube videos on, um, doing hair. Of course, girls, you know, can do a hair a million different ways. And guys, we just basically mm-hmm. like wet it and brush it over. Um, but but girls can do it so many ways. Well, they, they've been watching and finding these different hairdos. I think that's so cool. I said, if you, I said to my, my girls, if, if you know 37 different ways to do hair, I think that is so neat. Um, but pick something you want to learn, um, more so maybe looking at reading, like find, find a book about it, whether it's, I don't know, the Civil War, how to tie a knot, um, you know, whatever. Find something that, that you can just sharpen yourself in this year and know more at the end of the year than you did at the beginning of the year. And maybe you'll get a month into it and say, um, you know, I'm really not inter- interested in this anymore. Okay, fine. Find something different. But but uh, but what's something you want to learn and grow in? It doesn't have to be like spiritual mm-hmm. or super spiritual. It's just, just expanding yourself, just learning yeah. something. Um, and so anyway, that was kind of three things I left them with. Write a summary of 2022. Think spiritually about one area you want to work on. And, uh, and think about something that you want to learn and then uh, hopefully we'll start yeah. to develop a culture of, you know, reading and things like that. Excellent. But anyway, um, maybe what, what are some, uh, from our listeners, what are some things that, uh, you have, uh, found beneficial at the end of a year or, or transitioning into a new year or, uh, some things that you've, uh, purposed this year or some angles that you've taken. Any thoughts you want to add to that, Tom? Uh, no, I think you, uh, you were fairly comprehensive there. Okay, uh, I'm I'm, su- I'm sure we could make add more things to the list, but that sure. seems like <laughs> one of those things that benefits from simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, so just three simple things that you can do in the new year. I think that's that's great. I don't want to overcomplicate it. Okay, okay. 
Well, uh, where I think last last um, episode, I picked out um, most, if not all, of our questions. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> how about uh, you want to start us off? I kind of enjoyed that, honestly. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. I I I enjoyed feeling a little bit lazy there, and just kind of <laughs> <clears throat> you know, you know, they talk about decision fatigue. Um, yeah, oh, that's yeah. a real thing. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> That's a real thing. And sometimes, you know, I'll get to the podcast and be like, you know what? You pick. <laughs> <laughs> just throw something at me. Well, it is I, good. But I can pick some. I've okay. got some on the list here I can pick. Uh, some here. Let's see. I'll start with uh, one from me and then I'll pick one from you here and then we can. Uh... Hmm. We've got several from listeners here, but boy, I don't know if I'm ready for those. Um, let's see. All right. So this was something that originated from a conversation with my son about his schoolwork. And in, in a homeschooling family, you'll often find that um, both parents are involved in some way because conversations happen organically. Yeah. Um, so even outside of the formal school day, mm -hmm. conversations start about things from school things that the kid didn't understand or needs help with or, uh, or, or what have you. And this was a question that came up <clears throat> and my wife sent me the question from my son's test. And she said, he's, uh, he's curious about this. He's struggling with this. Do you think you could have a conversation with him about it? Hmm. And the question from the book was, is truth still truth regardless of its source? Offer your thoughts. Okay. Yeah. And to give you some context of where the question comes from, it was a discussion on the early Catholic Church and uh, Aristotelian thought, mm -hmm. uh, that is philosophy a la Aristotle, mm -hmm. and Thomas Aquinas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the question was, is truth still truth regardless of its source? And I figured I'd throw it out to you and see what you think. Uh, well, I understand that people can use truth uh, as in a half truth to create a deception, but I'm going to draw it back a step and say the source of all truth is God. So yes, the uh, truth is always truth uh, and it only has one source. Um, God is the founder of reality. It's people that become conduits of or expressors of truth. And so sometimes they'll use a truth in a deceptive way. But uh, kind of the old saying, I, I enjoy this one, you know, even a, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Um, mm -hmm. So you can look at a politician and be yes. like, uh, you know, we say, oh, he's a liar. Well, he can still state a truth. He can still say something. Right. And we go, well, well, I don't want to countenance the truth from him because he's a he's a liar. Yeah, but he actually might say a true statement. And so, you know, even you know, even a, a pagan or a, an occultist could say something that is true. Um, and I'm not calling Aquinas a pagan or occultist. I'm just saying uh, I'm just making an extreme statement. So, uh, yeah, I would say that the source source of truth is God, and um, and so, yes, it's always true regardless of where it comes from because it, it yeah. you know, that's my short answer. I guess. Good. Yeah. And that's kind of leaning on sort of where I think the text was going. 
uh, with it, <clears throat> his, uh, his school text. Um, if uh, there's a, a Greek word that comes up frequently in the discussion of Aristotle or Aristotelian thought, uh, you, I would guess you'd know this word. It's the word telos. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that word? Before? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot too bad, but do you remember what it means? Um, I want to say that, uh, the, like the Greek idea of that is uh, complete or whole or finished. If I remember correctly, or am I wrong? I, I think that's getting close. Okay. Um, I, I would, I would give it the idea of purpose. Okay. Yeah. So like something that has finished its purpose, uh, it's completed its task. In other words, uh, you know, uh, in my mind, I, yeah, I, well, I'm thinking of like a tool that does a thing. And yeah. it's maybe like some sort of socket that only fits that thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's the only tool that'll work for it. And, and without that thing, the tool is purposeless. And in order for that tool to fulfill its purpose, it has to do the thing that it was made for. And in Aristotelian thought, at least in my, you know, my, my understanding of it is that Aristotle not being a, necessarily God-fearing man, uh, used reason to try and rationalize certain things in Mm -hmm. the world and would often come to conclusions that were good conclusions. Right. Now, some would use that to say, well, then what do you need God for? And and that's a whole nother discussion. But the idea of comparing Aristotelian thought versus revelation. So you have reason versus revelation. Mm-hmm. If, if I, and, and the illustration I gave to my son was this, I said, okay, let's say you were a researcher and you examined, uh, families from the last 200 years, statistical data over the last 200 years. And what you concluded was that the most stable family unit in which the children grow up to be productive members of society are homes where there is father, mother, children. Mm-hmm. Sure. And there's a respect given to that order. And you could conclude by reason from your statistical data, the design, the telos, the purpose of the family is best fulfilled when there is father, mother, children. Right? Mm-hmm. You sure. came to a true conclusion. Right. The source of that conclusion was your reason because naturally in your own brain, you can rationalize a true thing that is revealed in nature where you can say the natural purpose of this is this, this works best. And yet if someone, and I told my son, if you weren't a researcher like that, and you were simply a Christian studying the Bible, you would come to the same conclusion, but not by necessarily reason, but by revelation. In other words, the revelation would tell you, revelation of scripture would tell you this is the best purpose for the family, is father, mother, children. So the source being reason versus revelation, both concluded a true thing. So the, the answer to the question, is truth still truth regardless of its source? The answer is yes. And the reason why they brought up Aquinas in the, the history book <laughs> was simply because he is essentially... I wouldn't say solely responsible, but at least partly responsible for the the movement of thought known as scholasticism, in which he said, well, it doesn't have to be either or, it should be both. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, It should be both revelation and reason, and revelation should inform our reason. Mm -hmm. 
Whereas Aristotle being a secular man would have said reason alone, right? Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the nature of the question. Is truth still truth regardless of its source? Yes. And the reason why we can discern truth, even as natural human beings, is because God made us like a tool for a certain purpose, right? He made Mm -hmm. us to understand Mm -hmm. what we were made for naturally, Mm -hmm. if we're willing to sit down and think about it. Mm -hmm. But we need revelation from God to kind of really fully understand and complete the picture of what, what it is his design is for people. Good. Truth is always a fun thing to think about. Yes. Good. Um, all right. Um, let's see here. Hmm. This one is, this one is from you. Okay. Oh, what's the first it, word here? Is it? Okay. The, yeah. You want to do that one? Sure. Sure. Um, okay. This, I thought this a while back, is it the preacher's responsibility to apply scripture to people's lives or is the preacher just responsible to tell the people what the Bible says? Um, so do, cause it seems like a lot of problems come in, um, in the step of, well, in the step of application, because so many maybe read a text and immediately jump to application as if it were the interpretation of the text. Mm, yes. Um, and so, you know, the question, just asking the question, does the, does the preacher simply have to tell the people Here's what the scripture says. Here's what it means. And expect then that the, the, they'll understand it and the Holy Spirit will make application. Or is it the preacher's job to think of applications for that text and to apply that text to the people's lives in various areas? I, I would say both. Um, if, if the options are let the Holy Spirit apply the text to the person's heart, that's necessary because the preacher won't always know how it needs to be applied Yes, to the person. You don't know what's going on in someone's heart and life all the time. However, there also does need to be application made by the preacher because without it, some people who maybe are, are less mature don't understand the point. Yes, and right. you're, you'd in a sense be leaving them hanging. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, does that make sense? Right. I mean, you just be, it, yeah, they, if they wouldn't really understand the significance of it, if you didn't make some application, yeah. at, the application almost becomes an illustration of the relevance of the text that, um, here, here's right. why this text written thousands of years ago actually has an impact on your life. Um, right. I, I think about Nehemiah 8.8, 8, which says, so they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly yep. and, gave and gave the, the sense, sense and caused them to understand the reading. It seems like in that you could see some, yeah, illuminating of the understanding, which can include application. But like you're saying, we don't, we don't apply in every nuance because number one, I don't think any man has the, the, the mental faculty to do that. Because the script, the, you know, the thought of scripture can be applied a thousand different ways, you know, in a, in a thousand sure. different situations. Um, and yet what we're doing then, so, so to, to read a text and say, what this is saying is that you shouldn't listen to this specific music group, bless God, you know, and I don't mean to 
don't want to yeah. say that irreverently, but but to say this could be applied here, this could be applied here, this could be applied here, beginning to basically whet their appetite for, oh, I, I see, yeah, right, right, wow, I see how that can be used. And then the Holy Spirit can continue to make that application in decisions that they make and thinking that they have, you know, down the road. Yeah. Um, so yeah. certainly I think he needs a focus on understanding what does the scripture mean? And, and unfortunately, um, many may not do that or to the degree that they should, that primarily right. the first question you're asking is what does this say and what does it mean? Then make application. Right. Well, I mean, there's a simple, simple formula in my head about preaching, and that is explain, interpret, and apply. Um, What's the difference kind of between in, explain and interpret? Well, when you explain the text, you're kind of giving the context. Why is this here? Who is okay. this being written to? What does it basically say? Um, what was the original purpose of it? And so on. Uh, and that would kind of, that last thing, what is it? What was its original purpose? That kind of brings you into interpret. So now you're actually explaining deeper. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So explain and interpret are different in that explanation is kind of the 30,000 foot view. Mm-hmm. Interpret mm-hmm. is more of the, rather than the bird's eye view, it's more of the worm's eye view. Um, and and then application follows that, which is what is this information useful for me for, for right now? And um, there was uh, an interesting thing that Spurgeon had said, and I'm trying to find it in my Evernote here. I'd saved it a while back. <clears throat> um, so Spurgeon had said about preachers who leave off basically applying the scriptures. He says that uh, preachers who engage in that kind of preaching, he calls them, quote unquote, microscopic divines who are involved with sacred miniature painting and holy trifling. Wow. And the idea <laughs> is that they don't want to ex- to actually apply the scripture to people's lives. They want to just kind of bloviate on about it in some high sense that people can't grasp without ever actually bringing it down to where people live. Mm -hmm. Um, The quote I have from here is from Lectures to My Students, uh, page Mm -hmm. 75. Uh, He says, he is great upon the 10 toes of the beast, the four faces of the cherubim, the mystical (laughs) meaning of badger skins, and the typical bearing of the staves of the ark and the windows of Solomon's temple. But the sins of businessmen, the temptations of the times, and the needs of the age, he scarcely ever touches upon. Such preaching reminds me of a lion engaged in mouse hunting. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so even the the man who many refer to as the prince of preachers, right? Mm. Um, you know, and he's still just a man. Even Spurgeon said there needs to be some sort of application here, and and I think it's fair if we think of what application is that even the biblical preachers did this. So yes. they just did it in a way that maybe we don't always recognize immediately as application. But it was in uh, in the book of Acts that Peter observes what's happening in front of him in, in Jerusalem. He's observing the times presently, the, the present day scenario. And he says, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet. Hmm. So what is he doing? He is referring to scripture to say, well, this applies to now. That is an application. Albeit there are some distinctions there with prophecy that make it different than preaching. But he is applying scripture that was revealed to a present day situation. And then he goes and he quotes, I think it was the book of Joel, um, uh, and, and essentially applies scripture to their present day. 
Does that make sense? Yes. Yep. And I think about, as you were starting to say that, I thought about a parable. Um, that parable is very much that. It's like, hey, here's a thought and here's here's a parallel. Here's a, um, I'll, I'll apply th- what you know of this over here to this over here. And to me, there's, there's an immediate, there could be an immediate application, you know, that, um, yeah. because that's the whole intent is to make this thing understood. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, ob- obviously God wants it applied and maybe I'm just, uh, and, and not that I question whether a preacher should really apply, but, um, but to think, well, and to what degree, what, what is the priority of his application? Meaning he should first be understanding what the text says, but I, I do yeah. think somebody, maybe somebody already has, but maybe somebody should write a book on how to apply scripture. Um, um so I, I don't have a book written on it, but. I I told you a minute ago, I pulled up my Evernote. I actually have an entire note of things that I wrote down about this. Good. If you're interested in hearing them. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. If you could give us a somewhat quick synopsis on it, I would like to maybe read it more in full uh, later yeah. because I feel it's like- only, It's only uh, five things, really. Yeah. Okay. Because um, I think that's so important that the the way that things are implied and, and the degree and the emphasis, I, I just think that application is is often poorly done. Um, yes. And so I think somebody really needs, and I'm just going to give one case in point here before you read your thing. Um, and we've mentioned this before. And when you look back at the Old Testament prophet, for I know the plans which I have for you, saith the Lord, plans of, you know, <laughs> this and this to bring you to an expected end. And so I put it on a bookmark and I, I say, oh, God, you know, he knows the plans that he has for me to bring me to an expected end. Well, that may be true, but. It's uh, a poor use of the text. It's a poor use of the text, because what if you asked, you know, uh, I don't know, I'm just I'm just thinking i'm just guessing here but you know out of a hundred people that have that on their bookmark or they have it on the magnet on their refrigerator or they heard the preacher say it oh i love this text what was that actually talking about who is jeremiah talking to what was the expected end you, you know what yeah. i mean um yeah so does god have a plan for your the life end i think the, that the end of the captivity i believe right <laughs> um maybe i honestly i even for myself i'd have to do some study into it but but just to like claim that oh that's my promise well actually that had a that was that that was a jewel in a right. setting a specific setting sure. and um and so to just say oh god gave me this word you know god gave me this promise and you know i read yeah. it and i tell i tell people hey god has a plan for you well yeah he does but there's a better text for that <laughs> you know what i mean and uh, right. there's a way to apply these things in a way that's less well i mean helpful. it's it's a fault of human nature that we're inherently lazy and we use the Bible lazily sometimes where we think we can just find one verse that just applies directly to our situation. Yes. And, uh, and there are some that do, right? I'm not saying right. you can't come across a verse that actually does fit your scenario, but we tend to often look at the Bible like it's just a collection of pills that you take for the appropriate headache at the time. I'd say lazy um, and self-serving because we want sure. immediate comfort. Like I feel bad. I want right. something to comfort me. And so that, that verse sounds like something that would comfort me if I took it right. And so. Yeah, right. that's good. A collection of pills. <laughs> so without further ado, um, here is my list of the five uh, rules, maybe not so hard and fast rules, of <laughs> making biblical application from the text. Number one, 
the preacher's application will not be in conflict with the scriptural passage. That is number one on my list. In other words, what you were just saying to take a passage and apply it in a way that is outside of its actual meaning. You say outside of, or even contrary to really contrary to specifically. Um, I, I understand there are some applications that are tangential, meaning one thought kind of takes you to another, but that's the danger of application is that if you keep making those tangential leaps, eventually you're so far from the original meaning of the verse that you've misapplied the whole thing. So number one, his application will not be in conflict with the scriptural passage. Um, one, uh, one writer, uh, Rudolf, uh, Boren in preaching and community, uh, he called this the dilemma between the text and the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I got this text. I want to get onto my sermon. Yeah. Let me read the text. Right, right, right. Sermon. Yeah. All right. Number two, don't jump to the applications that come immediately to your mind. <laughs> there are applications that will pop up first. But that you often have to wait. You're forced to wait. And, and you've probably seen this happen as I have, where in in your sermon preparation, an application will come to mind. And so you write it down. And this is towards the beginning of your study. Mm-hmm. By the time you are finished studying, you kind of have to go back and just delete that application, delete mm-hmm. that whole paragraph or sentence, because it, you, when you're done, you realize oh, it just doesn't really fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't jump to applications that come immediately to your mind. Number three, the preacher's application must exist in straight lines from the text itself. Uh, and, And you can see how these are all related. And the reason I say this one specifically using the phrase straight lines, and I was telling my boys about this last night. I said, boys, this is a yellow highlighter. And I held up a yellow highlighter for them. I said, the way some Christians handle the Bible, I could literally go from verse to verse to verse to verse until I can get back to an application that says this highlighter is worldly and you shouldn't use it. (laughs) And what essentially, because you can say, you can come up to any conclusion that anything is worldly and you shouldn't do it. And there's the application. If you're willing to jump from one verse to the next, to the next kind of in, in non straight or convoluted lines Mm -hmm. to try and make your point. In other words, you can make the Bible apply to anything you want it to. If you're a dishonest preacher Mm -hmm. or, or I should say even an immature preacher, immature preachers do this perhaps even more so than the dishonest ones. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Well, partly though, I think it's because of poor training or poor examples that they've seen, maybe what they think a preacher ought to do. Right. Or, or perhaps they approach the Bible with a message they want to preach. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Man, yeah. I got a good idea. I just need to find a text. <laughs> right. And uh, there is a term that um, that I think um, those who study hermeneutics will use for this sort of thing. They call it near application. Hmm. So there's, there's near application and there's far application. So near application means I can draw a straight line from this verse or these verses to the application that I want to make. And it's very obvious. Yeah. Whereas far application takes you through a, a series of a labyrinth of different verses and meanings and passages and texts and ideas all to get to a point. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some applications that require a little bit more work. There certainly are. Sure. However, I was reading one book one time where the author made so, I mean, it was a twisted labyrinth of weird logic 
and and exegesis, actually mostly eisegesis, meaning he was importing his meaning into the text rather than taking his meaning out of it. And by the time you're done reading it, you're just dizzy and confused with how he even got there. Yeah. And if a preacher has to go through that much work to prove his point and that much dizzying logic to prove his point, there should be question marks on whether or not he really got there honestly. Right. I mean, you certainly would take a, a, a Berean relook at that. And if you can't easily trace that again and build that case, then. Right. Yeah. And I'm not saying that the Bible is always stupid simple. There are some applications that require work to get to. Sure. But that's the danger of far application is that sometimes people go too far. Um, so that's number three. His application must exist in straight lines from the text itself. That's near application. Um, <clears throat> and. Number four. Oh, and by the way, just a point on um, far application before we get to number four. Mm -hmm. The idea with um, far application sometimes is that the listeners will become so confused that they're forced to make a trust decision rather Mm -hmm. than a logical decision. They get so confused with the topic. They're like, well, I mean, he's the preacher and he studied it. I guess I'll just take his word for it. Right. And that's not what you want. You want people to see it for themselves. Right. Um, And I know of whole churches, whole church movements of people where you can tell the folks are just repeating what they hear the preacher say on their certain pet doctrine. um, And they have no idea what they're talking about. It's just the preacher has dizzied them with his weird logic that they're confused and they have no choice but to just decide to trust him uh, that he's right. And Uh, anyway. Yeah. And I and I would just say that it's kind of like an ordination. You remember when, when you went through ordination that we said, that we said, it's okay. If they ask you a question to say, you know, I haven't landed on a position on that yet, but I'm still studying. It's okay to say that. But if you say that as an answer to every question, that's a problem. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, and so those trust decisions, I can understand that there are doctrines uh, and concepts in scripture that may be pretty weighty and for mm-hmm. for an immature believer at times you can just say look i don't have time to try to flesh this all out for you right now but for now trust right. me when i say this and let me move on to this that's right. not you're certainly open to them investigating it and learning more about it but if like every service multiple times you know they're having to make this trust decision like i don't really understand yeah. most of what he's saying but i'll just take his word for it because he said it you know, and like you said, you just yeah. become, you, you get into a, well, it, a place where the people are just yes men, like yeah, preacher, yeah, amen, because you said it. I don't really understand it, but yeah, whatever you said. Right. Well, if all of your sermons are that way, you're either a dishonest person who's trying to make the Bible say things that aren't apparent, or you're just not <laughs> apt to teach. At which point, you should find a different career, uh, um, or study. Yes, it just yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, that's okay, that's number ahead. three. Number, number four. four the preacher's application will not create a crutch of ease for the listener. Okay. And again, you can see how this is related. It's kind of, we're building a brick wall here, layer by layer. Uh, in other words, as a preacher, you have to be able to show your work. So like, if you remember when you were a kid um, and you'd be called to the board in class to do math, right? Yeah. And that okay, was always terrifying when you were called to the front of the class to do the math on the board. Cause you couldn't just say, Oh yes, teacher X equals seven. No. Right. Uh, the, the classic <laughs> rule of math, show your work. Yeah. Yep, <laughs> you must show your work. Well, yes. do you realize it's the same in preaching? 
you must show your work to the listener rather than just tell them what the application is. You have to be able to show them how you got there. They need to be able to see it. And if they cannot see it, you haven't done your job yet. I don't care what anybody says. And I'm not some expert preacher, but I can tell you as someone who's listened to preaching his whole life, if they're listening as intently as a person can listen and they still don't get what you're saying, you haven't done your job yet. Mm. You have to be able to show your work. Um, and some applications are complicated and they're very mature applications. They're far applications. Um, but others are complicated just because the preacher's stretching a bit and he's wrangled the text and he just wants to make an application real bad, even though it isn't there. Man, that's um, good preaching. <laughs> not in the Bible, but it's good preaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love uh, yeah, why, why let uh, why let the Bible get in the way of a good sermon? Good sermon yeah, <laughs> I like I like that analogy of showing your work in math to showing your work in preaching. Um, and I and those thinking about preaching, and I don't mean to make this extra hard because to me, uh, it just is kind of part and parcel of the thing. Uh, I, I love learning and, and love studying and I love making a logical case for things. But often, or I say oftentimes, sometimes I, I would say just routinely as a matter of course, in the things that you're presenting, you're asking yourself, if someone asked me why I said that, what would be my answer? Because you're going to make multiplied statements in your sermon that you don't have time to back up every one because it would, it would take too much time. So mm -hmm. if I'm giving a summary of the book of Hebrews and I say that the book of Hebrews is apparently written, you know, for this purpose to this group of people who are suffering this at the time and blah, 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 blah. Well, I have my reasons why I've structured all that and I may give pieces of that. Um, but if they say, well, wh why, why do you think that? Well, what do I like? You know, you could take them back, you know, in, in personal conversation, you could take them back two, three steps, but you might say, well, the Philistines, this, or the, uh, uh, or in, in, in New Testament times, they did this. Right. Okay. Well, I might take your word for it that they did that, but can you show me, can you show me the documentation on that? Can you prove right, it? Right. So there's going to be a lot. And I, and I know there was, there was, uh, we've talked about, you know, pastoring thinking people. And sometimes people are especially question askers or they're, they're deep or they're, they're like highly intelligent. And I don't mean that as a slam against anybody else. They're just Man, they think about stuff. And when you have one of those in the congregation, you're even more on your toes because, yes. uh, especially like in a Sunday school like ours, where you can just raise your hand and ask a question or make a comment, mm -hmm. you're, as you're preparing, you may be thinking, if I say that statement and they ask this, how do I explain what, I, how, how do I give the justification for what I'm saying? You know what I mean? So what right. I'm saying is that not only are you showing your work in the application that you're intending to make, you're also preparing to answer questions that'll never be asked. And that just helps <laughs> you to be grounded um, and rooted as yeah. a person, as a preacher, that you understand where all your statements are coming from. You, you, well, you don't I, just say things because they were said to you. Yeah, I would liken much of the preparation of preaching to preparing to answer objections. Um, mm -hmm. in other words, the primary objector, when you prepare a sermon should be you, you should be attempting to object to everything you write down so that you can make sure that you're right. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> um, and if you can find valid objections to what you're preparing, uh, well, then maybe you need to change what you're preparing. <laughs> um, so yeah, 90% maybe, and I'm just throwing a number out there, but a lot of <laughs> the preparation of preaching is prepping for objections. Um, Good. All right. Anyway, so I, I got you off track a little bit. So, yeah, no. Number four, his application will not create a crutch of ease 
for the listener by not showing his work. Um, you have to make them think through it with you, make them see so your So you're work. saying by the crutch of ease, you're saying that basically just take the application. I don't, don't worry about how I got there. Just take the application. They go, okay. Right, right. Well, yeah, pretty much because okay. I mean, you can get up and preach about any number of things. You know, people get up and this happens a lot in the preaching of standards, yes, right? Uh-huh. When, when people preach standards, uh, which is a, a whole nother can of worms that we're not going to crack open today, I think. But, mm-hmm. um, but when people preach standards, they'll say, well, you know, X is wrong. You know, this particular style of clothing is wrong. This haircut is wrong. And, or, or this particular facet of music theory is wrong. And it's like, well, you have to be able to show your work with mm-hmm. Bible, not mm-hmm. with human logic, with Bible, right? You have to be able to show your work and connect those dots with straight lines, not convoluted wormy lines. They have to be straight lines um, if you're going to make that application. Otherwise, people are just sitting there on a crutch of ease going, well, well, the preacher said that this fits with this. So, uh, you know, okay. No, you got to show your work. Now, if, if you don't have time to show your work and study appropriately, let me just give you a little tip <laughs> to kind of confirm your point when it's a weak one, you know, or you don't necessarily, you can't answer the objection. You just kind of, you ask for the amen, right? Yeah. You're like, <laughs> X is wrong. Amen. You know, right, right. And then you do, like, and or, or or you give yourself the amen. You know, amen, amen. Like, can I get an amen, amen, preacher? <laughs> you know. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you're right. You point out an interesting thing. I'm always suspicious a little bit when a preacher asks for the amen. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm not saying I've never done that. I think every preacher maybe has done that at some point, just kind of instinctively. It's sort of part of the. Uh, the um, <laughs> lingo, the verbiage is part verbiage. of the lingo. Yeah. After a while. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm suspicious of a guy who has to ask for the amen a lot. Um, can I have a witness? Uh, right. well, I, that should be in your notes. <laughs> right. Right. No, okay. Anyway, Good. Number, five, number five, number five, his application will not violate the autonomy of the individual. And, uh, this is important because this is where application oftentimes goes into the ditch is when you take the application and you are now insisting a particular thing that it's not stated directly in the text. You are simply applying the text to that thing. And you're now insisting you're not reproving. You're not rebuking. You're not exhorting or, or forcing or, or, or coercing or manipulating. Uh, when you simply explain and interpret and apply the text with straight lines from the text to an application. All of those things are fair. But when you are now using emotional abuse, when you're using social pressure, uh, when you're using all sorts of um, uh, browbeating techniques, and and when you're trying to make people feel embarrassed uh, and so on, you're now manipulating people with your application. And you violated the autonomy of the individual. Does that make By sense? autonomy, you mean their ability to uh, make that decision uh, in their own conscience, their, that decision by themselves, to agree with you. You're saying you don't right. have, you know, whether you, you agree or disagree, them, I am right. <laughs> you're forcing them to agree with your application based on embarrassment or social pressure or kind of the hive mind mentality. You know, you're, you're in a sense forcing the conclusion. Hmm. 
mm-hmm. on the individual. Um, they do have to see the application. That's important. But you know, should we be as forceful with the application sometimes as many preachers are? No, I don't think so. Um, and I'm not saying we need to preach softly. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. Um, but what I mean is we have to be careful that we don't slip from making an honest application into browbeating is a very fine line yeah, that yeah, people can cross. Yeah. Wow. Interesting to think about that because, uh, you know, what's the, I mean, obviously for the purity of the church, you know, things have to be disciplined or, uh, yeah. in, in certain, um, you know, social contracts or, you know, negotiations, you obviously have to hold a, hold a line, but when people are, are growing, um, yeah. and I do, do you make everything an ultimatum or are you trying to help them like here, here's something you need to think about. You need to grow. You right. need to apply this to your life. Make it now, make the decision yeah. change well, now. I mean, well, you know, to, okay. To if you're fair, forcing it. To be fair, everything kind of is an ultimatum. There is a consequence of not accepting biblical truth. And some, sometimes the consequences are real bad. Sometimes they're maybe, you know, less bad, but there's still consequences. Yeah, right. Um, so, but the fact is, everything is, in a sense, an ultimatum. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just sometimes the ultimatum can become a threat. And you're yeah, now and, threatening and are, people. And are we making the consequences at that point? Like now, if you don't obey the ultimatum, we will make sure you're embarrassed and that you right. are you're not part of the inner circle and that you right. are viewed differently amongst us. Or, or is it simply if you break God's rule, you suffer the consequence of his design, you know? Right, right. And, and I guess when it comes to application, when it all comes down to it, if you can preach through a message and all you've done is explain and interpret, people can leave the message essentially saying, so what? Mm-hmm. The, or, asking or, the question, so what, is, is how you get the application. When mm-hmm. you've explained and interpreted this to yourself in study, and then you ask yourself, okay, so what? That is how you get the application. <laughs> what, yeah, right, what is this right, for? Right. But if all you do is, like you say, read and interpret, they can even leave, not just saying so what, but they can leave with the sense that I did my duty in listening to a sermon. I am righteous and godly because I sat there and wasn't convicted by it. Well, uh, and so they maybe are, are lulled into a false sense or they, they use that as a, in a false sense of spirituality um, because yeah. they did their thing and they walked out and weren't changed because they weren't, yeah. they weren't presented with the need to change or the way to change. Um, yeah. so, okay, well, good. There's Thanks a, for, uh, sure. Let me give that. you a quote here to conclude with. This is yeah. from, uh, the renewal of preaching, uh, by David James Randolph. And he says, as you prepare your sermon, you should intend that the biblical text come to expression in the lives of the hearers. Mm. This is not an addendum to the sermon. It is part of the sermon by definition. Where concretion is lacking, we do not merely find a poor sermon. We find no sermon at all. Hmm. In other words, the end, the end game is to see it worked out in the lives of the people. Yeah, it's, yep. it's for it to be concreted in their mm-hmm. thinking for a particular purpose. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we have some other enjoyable stuff to go over, but we're going to have to wait until the next podcast, or uh, we'll see what we're going to cover here in the after show. But we have to, uh, speaking of transitioning into a new year, we have to transition into a a new phase of this episode because our time is done. Wow.
that went fast. Listeners, thank you. Uh, and if you have any thoughts, uh, any any thoughts on what these things that we've been talking about, or um, or or just something totally, uh, totally different, um, I, I, I've got I've got another one here that I'm looking at. That's a, a neat question and off the subject of what we've been talking about. We'll have to cover it in another episode, but it's from a listener and a patron. And uh, if you have thoughts of uh, uh, that, you just questions you have um, about life and how to connect some of the dots and wouldn't mind uh, giving that to us to help reason together and then share it with us. Reason together podcast at gmail.com. Share your thoughts, uh, your perspectives, uh, even disagreements. Um, yeah, you know, I know that you wouldn't have any disagreements with me personally, maybe with Tom, but, uh, anyway, if you had any disagreements with Tom, <laughs> then, uh, reason together podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Well, thank you for throwing me under the bus, uh, Daniel. There, happy New Year. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We are encouraging balance, developing perspective, connecting faith through practice, and throwing Tom under the bus on a weekly basis. This is Reason Together.